Welcome to Midnight Book Club. I'm John Hart. And I'm Alexa. Pour yourself a stiff drink, pull up a chair, and get lost in the fantasy for a while. Hi, friends. Um, so we kind of got a little waylaid uh, with recording this week. So hence, you had the Gwent episode last week. Um, so here it is, uh, as promised, our next episode in the Baptism of Fire. Um, we were mostly waylaid by having a new puppy, which there probably will be pictures of on Instagram. Uh, if you'd like to check that out, you can find us on Instagram at Midnight Bookcast. So enjoy, and uh, we hope to see you again next week. I can't hear you. Aye, aye, Captain. Oh, who lives in a Pineapple swamp? <laughs> swamp now in the <laughs> in the continent. Geralt the Witcher. <laughs> this is like the worst theme song ever. Uh, yeah, I mean, what do you expect for zero planning whatsoever? Not even knowing I was going to do a rendition of SpongeBob that involved Geralt of Rivia. Yeah, I feel like if I had like five minutes to plan, I would have done that. Might have, might have been a little bit better, but... Need I, more time I, to think. It's fun, but I don't think there's a market for it. I don't think there's a demand. <laughs> there's not a market there's, for it. There's not people <laughs> lining up out the door. Well, first of all, like fans of The Witcher are a little niche. Yeah, And then yeah. like, you know, fans of SpongeBob, like that's pretty much everyone, at least yeah, the millennials. Yeah, that's, that's but, true. There's probably a fair amount of overlap. There's, yeah, there's probably a pretty, pretty, pretty good Venn diagram. It's a niche audience, so it's something we'd have to, you know, workshop, do some focus groups. Yeah, think about you know who could around, you know who around. could make it work though, Dandelion. Yeah, I, he has the creative vision. I'll give you he that. He could, he could make it work. I'll give you that. I don't have the creative vision of Dandelion. Oh my God, I'm, I'm looking up to him. Oh God. What has happened to me? You have really me? come a long way with Apparently, your I have uh, come relationship with Dandelion. <laughs> I have, I guess. Begrudging respect to now like flat out, you know, admiration. I wouldn't go that far. I would definitely not go that far. <laughs> you admire him. Admit it. I think slight entertainment is about where I draw the line. Slight? Slight. Oh, come slight. on. Come yeah. on. <sighs> I... I don't dislike him. He okay, and also he does. He has some really fun bits in this in this chapter. Like and what, for example? We'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll get oh, there. Oh, you want you want it to be a surprise for well, the summer? Sure. Yeah. I mean, like I want to point out, like, ooh, that was the bit that I liked that Dandelion did. Um, there's a, there's a part that's really fun, and you'll 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 know it when you get there. And I think you know what I'm talking about, but maybe not. Do I? <laughs> yeah, a it lot was. The, of parts we were this. reading it, and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Okay. All yeah. right. I mean, there there was a okay. So this may be. I say this on almost every episode. This may be a really long episode because there's a lot that happens in this chapter. This is like the most dramatic episode of Midnight Book Club ever. If you know the terminology of The Bachelor. Oh, okay. It's the most dramatic <laughs> season ever. I mean, I was gonna say like it is dramatic in more of the loose usage of the word dramatic and that there's a lot of like theatrics um and there's a lot of like just like extra and uh like burning corpses that kind of thing okay i mean yeah yeah there's some downers in there definitely and some comedic relief there's a lot of comedic relief i mean this is 
they go full on murder hobos on this one. Ups and downs. Yeah, I yeah. would say it's it's pretty great. So, great characters, though. Yes, yes, in it, fantastic characters that we only have known for like a chapter or two, but already feel like are we're fully invested in and like we're we're there for it. You know what I mean? So we have to like develop a term for like characters who are just in the book versus mm-hmm. characters who are just in the video game. Ooh. And characters who are just in the TV show and then people that are mm. in more than one. Because like Okay, we'll have to workshop. For that, example, like, like Golden Shive. I yeah. mean he's in like both the book and the video games, mm-hmm. but it's very different. He I mean, he's not that different. Well, no, I mean just the role he plays is a little different. Yeah, yeah. At least thus far. Um he might show up in the he might show up in the TV show. I don't know what they're gonna do with that because mm. like I feel like it really remains to be seen how they're going to adapt like Blood of Elves on because they've sort of done these like mm-hmm. capsule episodes like Monster of the Week yeah, almost yep. with like an, a through line of the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm guessing they'll probably do a little of that going forward, and in that case. I could see them introducing new characters, but Yaskier kind of fills that need he does. for like a comedic he does. relief. So yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to see which characters they introduce and maybe which ones they invent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So with that being said, do you think we should dive right into the long and the short? Yeah, we'll attempt to. Yeah. Are there we might gonna... be some injuries involved. <laughs> it, I, I don't know. We're kind of diving. We're kind of cliff jumping tonight. I mean, it's it's not just like a just cliff jumping without like any sort of harness. Or exactly, okay. exactly. Yeah, like we're cliff diving. Uh, yeah, in that you know, not we're, bungee, we're, bungee. Yeah, yeah. Diving, we're, yeah. We're, we're 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 diving in, but it's you know, it's a big deep ocean, and there might be some rocks there. So there might be. Have you not done any like sort of reconnaissance or like look down at all? No. Who looks down? Well, you should you probably never know you're not going to bash your head You should know the first rule of heights is never look down. Yeah, but if you're going to jump off of it, that's a different story. No, just you don't look down. I mean, have you never watched cheesy movies from the 80s? You don't look down. That's the first rule of being up high. That sounds incorrect. Nope. So, first rule, don't look down. All right. I mean. I don't make these rules. I just enforce them. All right. Well, I'm not going to take your advice about jumping off of cliffs anytime soon well that's good because i don't actually do it good <laughs> so i'm not at all an good. expert on this topic i mean it's better than like cave diving because that's terrifying that yeah yeah i don't uh, want to do that either no there's that's a level of hell that I, I i don't know you just throw some bees in there or like wasps i'm i'm cool with bees now throw some wasps in there and like you have like a personal level of like nightmarishness that like i think i think would i think would would would, like (laughs) if freddy krueger entered my dream and that was what was occurring he would look at me and be like wow that's a little heavy even for me (laughs) just the the level of like personal fears that are all wrapped up into like one thing that like cave diving being like dark spaces, dark, confined, dark semi confined spaces, which I'm usually okay with individually, but like you, you start throwing other factors in there, and I get pretty unnerved pretty quick. Um, I did do a sensory deprivation tank one time, really, yeah, that's very like new agey, yeah, it was really, 
it was interesting um but it also wasn't it was interesting in how uninteresting it was but it was also very interesting did it help like shape your perspective on life or give you like Um, the one thing that i remember about it was so i climbed into it and it's like three inches of water maybe four um but it's like super heavy like uh salt saturated water so it's very dense so you float in it real easy um so you don't touch the bottom but there's no light there's no sound um you were just in this dark enclosed space just you don't you don't feel anything because everything's a perfect temperature um but you're floating in water in the dark oh so it yeah really, uh, triggered your lathis lathis yep uh, like the like your i'm like phobia yeah, how do you say yeah, that I'm i so i you, you so. might be right i don't know um but yeah like i the entire time i'm like this is a like a six foot by six foot box like a coffin almost sure i was trying not to make that that (laughs) that comparison when i was in it but yes Yes. um there is four inches of water underneath me but i'm like my brain is just sitting there going like there's a shark in here there's a shark in here (laughs) there's a shark in here i know there's a shark in here yeah you can feel it you're gonna it's it's gonna it's gonna get you it's gonna get you any second now yep you're gonna get eaten that would be a really interesting direction for the Jaws franchise to go in. Ooh, Tiny Shark. Tiny Shark. <laughs> tiny Shark. Tiny Shark. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I'm so surprised Hollywood hasn't like glommed on. Yeah, that. no, I mean, you know, I, we're, it's the next big thing. It was Tiny Shark. It's Tiny Shark. Terror comes in small packages. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I like that. I like that, actually. Um, so anyways, enough, enough vamping. Uh, why don't we, why don't we move into the summary here since we've got a lot to cover? Yes. So today we're covering chapter two of time of contempt. (laughs) Of baptism of fire. Oh God. We're covering chapter two of baptism of fire. And we're actually going to not say the wrong book title (laughs) in this summary, or at least try not to. Hey, I make no promises. So yeah, Baptism of Fire, Chapter 2. Let's go. Let's okay. start the summary okay. right now. All right. Wait, are you waiting on me? Uh, no, you don't do the summary I'm the part. note guy. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm not the summary guy. Oh, my God. At least not for this book. So we open on um, the ribbon, which is the river on the outskirts of Brokelon. Um, we open on Dandelion and Geralt, who are hanging out there. Um, just found it interesting that they tend to hang out around bodies of water Remember, they were hanging out around a body of water when they found the gin. Hmm. Um, yeah, I never noticed that before. In The Last Wish. Yeah. Um, so there is a storm coming in on the horizon, and this is the same storm that Milva noticed as she was trying to catch up with them last chapter. Um, Geralt is very grumpy as his characteristic. He is upset about his horse. He's mm-hmm. super skittish, and yep. he is constantly like, what the hell is wrong with this horse? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He claims that he's going to swap it out as soon as he can. Dandelion laments how he's not able to visit a tavern. He's been outside for a while now. And, you know, the great outdoors is not as great when you know that there is a warm inside with beer on tap. So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's a good reason to go hiking sometimes is that cold beer at the end of the trail. 
So Dandelion was actually trying to get to the tavern that you mentioned and promised. And yeah. Along, <laughs> and he can't find it. So he's pretty He upset. can't find the DM plot hook tavern? No, he can't. Oh, okay. He didn't give him the right directions. You printed I mean, out a map quest <laughs> for him. And like map quest hasn't been relevant in 15 years. So I guess the, I guess the DM needs to just make the tavern appear in the water. Yeah, right in front of Dandelion, you suddenly see a, a, a tavern under the river. But the river's only like six inches deep. Yeah, Just it's in there. It. Just go, go with, with it. it. <laughs> you want to go into the tavern. <laughs> the theme of this chapter is Geralt being mean to horses. Yeah, actually, that's constantly. pretty accurate. So he's bitching about this horse the entire time. It's an elven horse that he got from one of the Squayatel. Dandelion's like, give the horse a break. It's just being bitten by horseflies. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, too. Not just, like, a couple. And then Geralt fat shames Dandelion's horse um, uh, and makes fun of the fact that Dandelion is calling him Pegasus. Dandelion named his horse Pegasus. It's fitting in some way. Dandelion seems to have bonded quite a bit with Pegasus in the times that they've been together. Mm-hmm. Geralt lays out the plan. The plan is mm-hmm. to ride into Milfgard and ride south, basically yep. crossing yep. through Verdun mm-hmm. and Sintra and all of these good war-torn Nilfgaardian occupied areas, Yay. which doesn't seem like the best of ideas, but Geralt is desperate, mm-hmm. which we are mm-hmm. seeing in this chapter. Yep. He wants to reach Ciri. It's starting to rain as they're crossing the river um, with really, really gusty winds, like mm-hmm. hurricane force winds, which I'm not sure how Anse can know that because he lives in Poland. And as far <laughs> as I know, they don't have hurricanes. Correct I... me if I'm wrong. I don't think they have hurricanes in inland Europe. But as someone from Florida, I can say <laughs> that hurricane force winds begin at about 70 miles per hour. I don't know if that's exactly what he's describing. That is just a fun fact for you. Um, we know intimately about all the categories of hurricanes. Okay, so we found Alexa's trigger point. <laughs> <sighs> all right, it's fine. When people it's who fine. don't know about hurricanes start it... talking about hurricanes like they know some shit. Stop hurricane explaining, okay? All right. They hide in the forest to try to break from the wind and the rain, but it's not really sheltering them too much. Dan Blind's like, okay, we've got to stop and find shelter somewhere. We're sopping wet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Geralt's like, where? Like, look around. Where <laughs> is there to go? There's no tavern, like, that the DM could just invent. Yeah. Like, Anse's not going to do that for us. Apparently not, because he's a jerk. Yeah, that's when they see someone um, who's sitting in front of a wagon and a person with a crossbow is sitting right next to him Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. clearly guarding yeah in some way immediately they're kind of like scared like oh shit like we've stumbled upon something and they realize these gentlemen are hawkers or traders who barter with Scoyatel and Mm -hmm. like resell some of their equipment these are black market arms dealers right is really what they are they have a lot of things you can't find in just any old market. Mm. Um, so right away, um, by the way, Geralt and Dandelion have their hoods up, and these hoods are um, gifts they received in Brokelon. Yep. So they're all, like, they've got leaf embroidery on them. They're very elven mm-hmm. or elvish, whichever uh, the preferred elvish? nomenclature is. Yeah, I think is the... And so right away, uh, the... The salesman, uh, the front man, not the guy with the crossbow, tells him to put the crossbow away. His friend Mm -hmm. put that away and like approaches Geralt and Dandelion and is trying to do like a hard sell on them. Like, hey, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and like addresses them in Elvish. And he's like, want to come over and like see my wares. I've got really rare things you can't find anywhere Mm -hmm, else. mm -hmm. 
some alarm bells ring in their head because they um, they know that this guy that's selling to them is waiting for someone. Who and are they, they waiting for? They don't know who that someone exactly. is. And it could be anyone. They know that the war is raging around them. They know Nilfgaard is close. They know the Temerian army is out there somewhere. So what's going on? Mm-hmm. But this guy is just like trying to make any kind of coin possible. He's like, there's plenty of time to trade. Like, there's always time to trade. Like, what can I interest you in? I'm waiting to murder someone, but there's always time to make a deal. Geralt kind of looks over the equipment and notices that some of the arrows and some of the things that they're offering are pretty unusual, stuff Mm -hmm. you can't find there. There's a special kind of arrow that Mm -hmm. opens up like... It was a a barbed arrowhead. Um, Basically, like, Geralt recognized it as something that, like, I don't know if there's, like, a Geneva convention in in, uh, the continent, but, like, it's the equivalent of, like, owning one of these is a war crime kind of thing. Um, and he explained that it's basically like, uh, the, the arrow, uh, it's barbed in a way so that it, it, when it hits a person, it like spins and shreds as it goes through them. Um, so it basically just turns into a blender blade. Pretty fucking metal. Um, yeah, it is. (laughs) Yeah. So he does some quick math and he's like, okay, if they're offering these, they probably have those and that crossbow over there yeah i'm in trouble (laughs) i don't feel like messing around with one of those he's also instructed dandelion to uh not talk yes because he does not (laughs) absolutely do not talk dandelion and basically to not give away that he's not an elf he has his hood completely pulled over his eyes and is just not saying anything which Mm -hmm. is not uncharacteristic for elves they don't really like talking to humans Mm-hmm. And so um, the merchant is like, okay, like, what do you want? Like, can we make a deal? And uh, Geralt is like trying to ex- disguise his voice. Like, he, yeah, he like mimics like a native elven speaker and tries to be all sing songy. He's like, I have to go back to my unit. Uh, I'll come back. And the merchant's like, sure. I get it. Uh huh. Uh huh. I get that you're broke. <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of here before we get out of here, you pores. So a really well-armed unit approaches. um, Mm. They're on horseback, and these are war horses. When the man approaches, he says, Rideau, and the trader replies, Valatierna. That is the password because there is some sort of exchange happening here. Mm -hmm. Like the hawker has to explain, oh, like, these guys are my escort, my elven escort. Mm. And like, don't worry about them. The leader of the unit asks, where's the prisoner? And the merchant says like, oh, he's on the wagon. He's in a coffin and he's not dead. Don't worry. Like we've listened to your orders, but it was Mm. like something of a message from Valatierna, like the actual person. Mm. Mm. The leader of the unit is like okay very well and then he starts looking through his inventory and throwing things on the ground the hawker is like wait this is like all of my stuff and like you're throwing everything out and he's like yeah i know i'll just take it all like i'll just buy it all hawker says that the price would be 500 tamarian currency or 45 florins Mm. um meaning that the currency of nilfgaard is incredibly strong Mm. and this just shows the power of nilfgaard's economy right now yeah that they have a their their inflation levels are much more under control 
And as a result, they, they could basically just kind of take over in a way by just having, by being the main currency for the most, most of the world. The leader of the group is like, oh, wow, that's really cheap. Yeah, I'll take the whole lot. And uh, the hawker is like really excited. He's about to make this big sale, Mm -hmm. getting ready for the deal of his life. And Mm -hmm. as Anse explains, it was a deal of his life in a a respect. Mm -hmm. Not exactly how he thought it would turn out. It was the greatest deal of his life and also the last one. The leader of the unit like crushes his skull with mm-hmm. a war hammer mm-hmm. and kills the other guy on the wagon with a leather strap around his neck. Yep. Yeah. And like Gerald immediately is like, okay, I've got to do something and grabs a random sword that fell off the wagon that was like yeeted off by the leader of the unit and he javelins it into mm-hmm. one mm. of the horsemen. Yep. And it's a pretty direct hit. So Geralt and Dandelion start running and they, like, after witnessing what just happened, are like, wait, they're not elves at all. Go after them. (laughs) And so Geralt is hobbling because his recently healed leg is giving out on him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Healed might be a strong word for that. It's healed in a sense. Ish. But it was still a shattered femur. It's a strong ish. And so one of the horsemen starts approaching him. Um, and then an arrow with an unusually long fletching embeds in his chest. Hmm. And that's when we know that Milva has caught up to our boys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, she just starts tearing through every last one of the unit mm-hmm. with relative ease. And uh, like she walks up to Geralt and Geralt is like, Thank you. Like Dandelion say thank you, which is kind of a parent thing to say. Which yeah. Is kind of yeah. funny. But I mean, that's kind of how Geralt always is to Dandelion anyway. So Dandelion is busy throwing up and because he's not really been close to a lot of dead people or mm-hmm. just murdered people. Yep. Yep. And Milva's like, who's this guy? And Geralt's like, oh, he's a friend of mine. He's a poet. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I could ask why he's here and not writing prose in a tavern somewhere. And mm-hmm. Dandelion's like, exactly. I want to be in a tavern somewhere. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, Milva says, like, I was already in the bushes. When you approached the hawker, I decided not to come out and just see what was going to happen. Those were Nilfgaardian mounted scouts, and there's likely to be more of them. Mm-hmm. We need to go now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Geralt says, I don't think those were just scouts. I think they were actually after someone. They mm-hmm. mentioned this coffin with someone alive in it on the wagon. Mm-hmm. And so they are around the coffin and they see that there are air holes like in it. And Milva is like really amazed that someone is alive in there. And mm-hmm. Geralt's like, mm-hmm. it's got to be a prisoner. And so yep. he pries yep. open the coffin and right away recognizes him and seems to be like fuck it like mm-hmm, right away mm-hmm. i'm and not i'm not helping him he's like leave him this is a internal issue for the nilf guardians mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like milva's like i'm guessing you know him based yeah. on the reaction at least i hope you know him and Geralt sort of cuts him free and the prisoner like uh, spits out his gag mm-hmm. and Geralt reveals that like last month 
like he he grabs the Nilfgaardian's arm and he reveals that like there's this injury that has healed a little bit and he's like see that Siri did that last month on the Ned Mm -hmm. she burned his hand and like he's like I can't really be held responsible for what I do around him I might Mm. stab him if I hear him talk and like Geralt sort of decides not to do that he just instead throws a knife and tells the guy like do whatever you want I spared your life on the Ned. I'm sparing it once again, but this is the last time. Next time I find you, you're dead. Until then, good luck. And Melva's like, okay, let's get out of here. We got to go to horse. Mm-hmm. To horse. And so the next time we catch up with our three members of the party now, Geralt, Dandelion, and Melva or mm-hmm. Maria mm-hmm. Baring, they are watching a battle for this town. And they're watching mm-hmm. this push and pull effect happen where the townsfolk are holding off cavalry charges across a narrow causeway. Mm -hmm. And it's happening that they keep getting rushed by this foreign invasion and they're able to hold them off. And Mm -hmm. then there's a retreat and then it happens again. And it's happened like three or four times at this Mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. They've watched it. But there's nothing really they can do, nor are they really going to be discovered. They're far enough away that they can observe in relative safety. Mm-hmm. Um, Milva points out that this is actually the Verdon army attacking the town. Um, Verdon is occupied by Nilfgaard, so it is a proxy force for Emir. Yep. And they're attacking the town, which is occupied by the Brugian regular infantry, which Bruges is kind of a part of the Allies. So, Do you think they have an irregular infantry? Uh, no. No irregular infantry at this point. Oh, man. Yeah, and so everything's really thick with smoke, and the army has set the entire forest on fire. So the party is kind of between a rock and a hard place in that they can't really go back into the forest, but they can't really go further because there's this skirmish going on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Melba's like, okay, what exactly are we going to do now? Because there's not a lot we can do. Mm -hmm. And Geralt says, my plans have not changed. I'm just going to ride. I'm going to get to the Yoruga River somewhere way somehow Mm -hmm. and then follow it south and then i'm gonna find a ship that'll take me to nilfgaard um and melva's like are you crazy like you're gonna sail into nilfgaard yes that's like sailing into mordor that's ridiculous and girl's like yeah i'm i am but i don't really have a choice in this melva's like oh wow you're so scary like Mm -hmm. you're gonna just knock Amir off his throne he's got to be just shitting himself with terror that the witcher is coming to get me in a rowboat like you're gonna <laughs> go to Nilfgaard to save your maid from Amir and what is she going to do when she sees you as you know from the information I've given you she's set to marry him she's a princess living in luxury mm. what do you have to offer her You're just going to say like, hey, come with me, live in a hut, we'll eat mud. Mm -hmm, Like That's mm -hmm. not anything that anyone wants to aspire to. Yep, yep. We realize here there's a disconnect. Like Mm -hmm, Milva mm -hmm. doesn't really understand the relationship between Geralt and Ciri. She's assuming that Geralt's in love with Ciri. Yes. Meanwhile, there's a break in the battle. There is a brief rejoicing from the Brugians Mm -hmm, in the city. mm Mm-hmm. But then the tide starts turning because mm. there's all of these forces coming from every single flank and they're mm. different. Like one is the 
black ones, one is the Verdanians that they've already been fighting for a long time, and one is the Scoia'tael. Mm-hmm. And so they quickly fall, and then they start fleeing. And the Scoia'tael picks them off one by one. It's a real mm-hmm. massacre. Yeah. And we're starting to realize that this is what was happening all over Adern yep. and Lyria. Milva thinks about all of the destruction that's happening in this town. And she says, all that work to build the city that's gone up in just a few seconds. There's a yep. lesson in that. And Geralt's like, and what lesson would that be? Melva's like, I don't know. Like, but there's some sort of lesson there. Don't build things, maybe? <laughs> um, I don't know. So there are screams from everywhere. Mm. And so the army that has been invading have surrounded civilians in the town and have kind of done like a tight ring so that they like trap them and then they're just massacring them. Mm. And so... Milva's like, all right, we've got to go back to Brokelon. I, I can lead you back. And Girl's like, well, I'm not going, but you can feel free to take Dandelion back. Mm-hmm. Milva's like, fine, I'll go with you. I know you're not asking me to, but you're a dumb, dumb dummy. Like, I cannot wait for you to just go in to meet your death. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I've been saving elves for too long. I can't just watch someone go out and die. Yep. So later they settle and they've had like a pretty tough journey and Milva goes off in the woods by herself. Dandelion starts just making creepy comments about her, mm-hmm. saying that she's mm-hmm. very comely. Like Geralt has all the luck with women. Mm-hmm. He starts describing her in various ways, including saying that her including saying that her thighs are like marble. Mm-hmm. Dandelion, when Milva gets back, um, like starts commenting oh like i've heard all these things about archeresses and zaracania and i hear that they cut off their left breast so they don't get in the way when they do draw, when they draw the bowstring yeah and melva's like that's some right bullshit thought about by someone who has nothing better to do but just think about women's bodies all day mm-hmm. and like dandelion doesn't seem that put off by that mm-hmm. um and later he's talking um to Geralt, and he says hey like i know milva's kind of intense but she sort of does have a point don't you think that siri would rather stay in royal trappings and in luxury mm-hmm. than live like life with you whatever as a refugee like on the road on the run and Geralt is like goes into this long sort of self-loathing thing about Mm -hmm. like oh yeah like because who would want to be with the old witcher (laughs) and who would want to actually be my daughter because I'm a terrible person right right and Melva's like Dan Lyon, that wasn't for you. That was a comment for me. I yeah. understand that he was directing that at me. Mm-hmm. And uh, like Geralt, as Dan Lyon and Milva surround him, they're all gathered on the same log, huddled around the fire. And like Geralt starts being really vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he says, like, I've just been having these recurring dreams of mm-hmm. Siri. Mm-hmm. She's not a Nilfgaard. She's in, been in a desert and mm-hmm. now she's riding on horseback with others there's another girl with close cropped hair that she smiles at but i don't like her smile mm-hmm. but most of all i don't like that she leaves a trail of death behind her mm-hmm. 
And Geralt says, I don't believe in dreams. And Milva says, but I do. And Geralt says, I don't know it, but I can feel it. There is a fire ahead of her. I have to make haste. So the next day, they're met with driving rain. Milva um, has sort of made a deal with them to go east before they go south. So the Mm -hmm. idea is to not immediately get killed. Yeah, you, Um, you try not to. Try to avoid that a little bit. And, uh, like, Geralt keeps, like, wanting her to go south. Like, Yoruga is south. I have to get to the Yoruga. And, like, Milva's like, listen to me. I know way better. Like, my <laughs> whole thing is that I navigate people. Yep. And uh, so they just pass, like, tons of destruction. Mm-hmm. Tons of the aftermath of battle. And, like, they pass refugees who are incoherent from being in battle. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Being in the midst of this really awful like traumatic event Mm -hmm. they pass an elf who is hung upside down in a tree mutilated from the waist down like blood being left there to like hang like icicles from them Mm -hmm. and there's a rune that milva translates as informer and she points out that it it was likely the squiatel as well mm -hmm. and so they they walk through just horror after horror and they only are able to go about like 20 miles in several days. Mm-hmm. And then they hear a horse approach. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it's the guy from the coffin. Yep. And Geralt yep. is really angry. Nope, yet I told again, you. he's like, Gonna look, kill him. I told you. Gonna kill him. I told you not to follow me. Mm-hmm. I gave you the knife. I told you I'm not going to go after you. But now you're here. And now mm-hmm. we're going to fight mm-hmm. to the death. Mm-hmm. And like he says, the guy on horseback, the guy in the coffin is like, well, yeah, you did, but I did anyways. And Mm -hmm. they realize that he has no Nilfgaardian accent. Mm. And Geralt is like, well, I can fight you with good conscience now because you're actually armed. So I feel better about killing you. And the guy, again, introduces himself as Kay here. Mm -hmm. And he keeps saying like, look, I'm not from Nilfgaard. I'm from Vico Vero. Mm -hmm. Like I'm my Mm -hmm. own man. And, like, I've changed my ways. Like, I, I want to join you. Mm-hmm. And Milva's like, come on, Geralt. Like, he'd be perfect for the party. Yeah, and we Geralt's need a meat like, shield. I mean, a strong fighter type. <clears throat> Geralt's like, no. Like, fight me. Fight me. Fight me. <laughs> Let me kill you. Instead of fighting Geralt, Kay here just rides off. Mm-hmm. And Geralt explains to Milva, like... I hate that I'm developing scruples in my old age. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Milva says, well, old man, put a cushion on your saddle and keep riding. <laughs> keep riding. Dandelion and Milva have some fun at Geralt's expense. Dandelion says, Milva, scruples are not the same thing as piles, which you inform me is another term for hemorrhoids. It's it's an old antiquated term for hemorrhoids. Geralt's like, couldn't you have shot the horse from under him? Like, couldn't you have done something? Make and sure Mil- he didn't get away, et cetera, et cetera. And Milva says, of course not. The horse hasn't done anything wrong. Like, mm-hmm, it's almost mm-hmm. like he forgets that she's lived with the dryad for the past <laughs> 10 years. The horse didn't bother <laughs> anyone, okay? Geralt is very pro-horse murder in this chapter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they continue riding up the highway. They are riding through the mountains, which are described as either going north to south or south to north, depending on your perspective. Depending on your perspective. Uh, They pass through way more horrible war fallout. um, And they realize that a lot of the corpses that they're passing through right now, um, like 
haven't happened today. They They're start, frozen. They they start being able to tell the difference between things that are fresh and things that have happened like a while ago. And mm-hmm. so they know when they're safe and when they're not safe. Yeah. Yep. And they find out how to like forage for food throughout the mm-hmm. battlefield and things that are useful. They find like a murdered traitor who Milva recognized had come up from the South and like, mm. Milva is like constantly like, I have no idea like where to take you now. Like this is so weird. Like where do we even go? Yeah, because that trader came up and that was the safe direction that I was planning on taking you. And if the trader is fleeing, then that means it's not safe to go that way either. And as they're, you know, kind of having this discussion, Dandelion's like, shut up. And they're all like, I hear something. What? And he's like, I hear singing. Like, I'm really finely tuned to this kind of thing. Bard, remember? Yeah, yeah. Singing. It, like, doesn't sound like a cadence. It doesn't sound like a war tune. Um, They're not marching. It sounds happy. It's Uh a merry song. Yep. And, like, they're singing a song. So they sing a song that begins, Look how the wolf dances in the holt, teeth bared, tail waving, leaping like a colt. Oh, why does he prance like one bewitched? The frolicking bee simply hasn't been hitched. Oompa, 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 pa. And Dandelion chimes in with the second verse that he knows well. He pulls out his lute and he starts playing and he starts walking towards them and he, he responds with the second verse, which goes... Look how the wolf is dragging his paws, head drooping, tail hanging, clenching his jaws. Oh, why is this beast in such a sorry state? He's either proposed or he's married his mates. Ooh, hoo, ha, they respond. <laughs> so it's a, it's a fun call and response song. Like, this is, this is a drinking song. This is a tavern song. Like, why is there a company of people, like, that we can tell? There's many of them. And they're singing, like, a, a drinking song. They're singing, you know, um, this is the equivalent of, like... Um, like brown eyed girl by van morrison like you know it, like everybody knows the words to it and knows the response and like so it'd be the equivalent of walking out into the woods and just screaming sweet caroline and then just waiting in the background for like the people in the bushes to... were you saying like sweet caroline by neil diamond or were you saying bum, bum, bum. brown eyed girl by van morrison is a different song I did just mix up those songs, <laughs> didn't I? Wait, You're completely correct. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> um, so they they see six merry dwarves um, mm-hmm. who are very much not a threat. And the dwarves are like, well, met. Like, you know the rest of our song. Like, you can't be that bad of a guy. Yeah, yeah. And um, they're all mature dwarves, which mature and dwarves, if you don't know, is when their beard reaches their belly, mm-hmm. which, which is, is about a, 50 years of about age. About 50 years old, yep. Um, he points out that they're they're all wearing these very well-known, like, well-worn raincoats that were very, like, they were only handed down to, like, the patriarch of the family. Um, so they would have to be, like, the senior elder of their clan or mm-hmm. whatever in order to get it. Um, just a little aside that wasn't super important but it it kind of built the character of like the seasoning of these these dwarves uh they're also leading some humans who appear to be refugees Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. a lot of the dwarves are dragging like huge amounts of cargo which isn't that unusual for dwarves but like one is carrying a wagon wheel and he's carrying he's carrying a cartwheel a cartwheel specifically the language used in the in the in the book was he's carrying a cartwheel and like I had to sit there, and I was like, "Okay, he's carrying a cartwheel." 
wait what <laughs> because like i it's been so long in our culture that like people don't use the term cartwheel to refer to the wheel of a cart anymore yes. because we don't have carts anymore like and one of them introduces himself it mm-hmm. says greetings i am zoltan chive yay zoltan zoltan and so uh and there's another one in mm-hmm. the party mm-hmm. that introduces himself as a gnome and his name is percival percival or percy percy the gnome yep and zoltan like explains like we came across some fugitives on the road and decided to escort them like mm-hmm. Do you see any reason why we shouldn't? Uh, which ends up being sort of a litmus test. And Geralt's like, no, I, I totally get I, it. Yeah, I would have done the same thing. Uh, he says, like, it's really bold of you to be marching through the woods while singing loudly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, Zoltan says, well, I don't see it that way. Like, beyond the Yoruga, there's nothing but death and destruction. Like, mm-hmm. what else do we have Ev- to do? Everyone and everything is dead, so... Uh, he asks where they're headed, and Geralt says south, and Zoltan's like, I would not advise that, my dudes. Mm-hmm, like, it's mm-hmm. really bad there. <laughs> like, we're trying to get out. Yep. So the Nilfgaardians have, like, left nothing but death and rubbish. I mean, like, everything is destroyed and mm-hmm. raised, and, like, Zoltan offers, like, we're heading, like, east for a mm-hmm, while, mm-hmm. and, like, maybe it would help you to travel with us, and, like... As long as you're okay with us moving a little slower, because we have women and children traveling with us, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, Zoltan, and like after Gerald clarifies, he's cool with that. Like Zoltan's like, all right, like I think that we can be friends, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so they rummage through some of the uh, things left behind by a recent battle, and uh, like they find a cart. That is perfectly suited for the cartwheel that one of the dwarves is carrying. <laughs> so Zoltan tells the dwarf that's carrying the cartwheel. He's like, hey, Billy, the dwarf, go <laughs> go try that that wheel on that cart over there and see if it fits. And the, the random dwarf calls back. It yeah, fits! it totally fits. Yes. <laughs> so it, like this, this scene blew my mind. That means that Zoltan had the forethought that they came across a wagon that had a broken wheel. And they knew that the next time they came across a wagon, more than likely the reason it would be abandoned would be because of a broken wheel. So they he had one of his dudes grab and take the wheel with him so that when they came across another wagon to see and if it fit, they could use that wagon and they would have a fully functioning wagon. I mean, that is it's some like it's not quite 4D chess, but it's like it's like three and a half D chess. Like I definitely wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah, no, I mean Zoltan's really awesome. He's like three steps ahead. Like he's living out there in like uh, fourteen fifty, basically. Yeah, yeah, he's in fourteen fifty eight when everybody is in thirteen fifty eight. <laughs> yeah, and so uh. Uh, the other dwarves are rummaging through the corpses and trying to find like any scraps of clothing or mm-hmm. anything that's mm-hmm. useful to them. The dwarves start pulling the cart that they have outfitted with the new wheel mm-hmm. and uh, they... Geralt assumes that they're going to discard it as soon as the ground gets gets damp and they get stuck. But they never did. They never did because they're like oxen and yes. they just keep rotating out. Yes, and Milva is concerned that their horse's hooves would be soft and split at any moment. Mm-hmm. And Zoltan's like, well, that's fine, because, like, if so, we'd have horse meat. I can, I am a fantastic horse barbecuer. And Milva's like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
apparently he wasn't present for her prior discussion of like the horse did nothing wrong. That's a brick joke throughout this chapter. Yes, yes. Um, so Percy the gnome ends up being like a scout and mm-hmm. he goes ahead and reports back to the party and also ends up bringing back berries he and brings back, nuts for the kids. He brings back trail mix for the kids. <laughs> He's an all around good guy. <laughs> yes, he is. And uh, they occasionally come across other bands of refugees who mm-hmm. would chase them off with pitchforks or mm-hmm. try to get them to leave the women. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of bad guys out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Zoltan and Milva are very much like we're going to take the refugee women and mm-hmm. children mm-hmm. to their final like. No, they're stop. very, very much vehemently opposed to the 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 other refugees that were interested in taking the women. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, God. Um. So yeah, they're very fiercely protective of the mm-hmm. refugees mm-hmm. and want to make sure they get home okay. We actually meet another character here, the old Marshal Windbag, who mm, is very mm-hmm. essential to the plot. Very, like quite possibly one of the most essential characters in the entire book series. Not just for his war acumen, but mm-hmm. just for his like riveting commentary. He and... is, after all, a field grade marshal. And he's a parrot. We didn't mention that. We didn't mention that. But he is Olton's parrot. He's a parrot who does nothing but swear. Which is kind of fun. Yeah, absolutely. You got to have a swearing parrot. And for some reason, the refugees are kind of put off by the dwarves' behavior. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It could be because they pee and poop, like, all over everywhere. They swear like sailors. They have a cursing parrot. Like, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that's just that's just a guess. It's, there, it's probably there not There was it. the one time that Zoltan peed on the campfire in the morning. Uh, which if you've ever been near anyone that has done that, it is one of the most disgusting things on the planet because all it does is vaporize the pee and heat it up. It's disgusting. It's what you do when you don't like your friends. So basically what happens is Milva is very offended by the fact that the dwarves just have no scruples to borrow the word from earlier. Like they're just not even like they don't they're not even courteous. And so mm-hmm. she finally loses it at Zoltan after he does that. Mm-hmm. And like Zoltan's like, what's the big deal? Only informants and spies pee with no one else around. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm staying here so that you guys can see that I'm not a spy. And so finally he's like, fine. Like, and so the company stops peeing near the party, but they do all go as a group. They start to, going as a group. To make sure they're not informants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to rid the company of spies, they just all pee as a group. So at some point, um, one of the dwarves shows up after they've been in, like, a war-torn area with a bunch of, like, mm. uh, food stuff, mm. a full wheel of cheese, meat, grain, and Geralt's like... Okay, that's gotta be coming from some other refugee yeah, group. Yeah. Geralt confronts Zoltan about that, like about robbing other refugees, and Zoltan sort of says, I know that if I do good to everyone, I'm not going to be as good to like my immediate circle. Like I have to have I have to aim my altruistic nature somewhere he he has a philosophy uh, and I, I i i put it verbatim in the notes there because it was it was so it was kind of kind of meaningful and i think it really i it really resonated with me because i i feel like it's kind of something that i kind of strive for a little bit and i think that's why it kind of kind of touched me 
um, is that he strives for doing the optimal amount of good that he can't necessarily always be completely good all the time because then he gets taken advantage of. Right. And so he says, like, um, his quote is, I simply have to do good. I'm a sensible dwarf, however, Mm -hmm. and I know that I'm unable to do everyone good. Mm -hmm. It would be a drop of fresh water in the salt sea. In other words, a wasted effort. Mm -hmm. Thus, I decided to do specific good, good which would not go to waste, good for my immediate circle. So Zoltan tells Geralt about his experience with the company so far and what's mm-hmm. happened to them. And, mm-hmm. and him and Geralt come to an understanding. And Geralt doesn't ask him any further questions yeah, because he yeah. gets it and he respects it. Zoltan and the company keep traveling. And after, after several days, the rain stops. And suddenly, like, everyone's getting really happy because, like, it's not driving rain anymore. Mm-hmm. And so they spend a nice, warm, sunny day playing barrel. It is supposedly what Gwent in The Witcher 3 is based on. Mm-hmm. We did, in fact, do a whole episode on Gwent and side games within games, and it's rather fun. As they're sitting there playing Barrel slash Gwent, mm-hmm. they hear a sudden scream from the forest, mm-hmm. and everyone just runs and is at the ready. And there's a small girl near a what looks to be like a rotten log pile, mm. and they find out that it's this large crab spider. Mm-hmm. and it's just climbing out of the log pile, and Zoltan's like, of course, it's a creepy crawly. Geralt tells him, go get, like, a ladle. And so... A ladle and a, and a cauldron lid. A ladle and a cauldron lid. Mm-hmm. And he reveals that it's an Auto, eye Auto, head. Yeah, that an was eye it. Head. Sorry. <laughs> it's a relic of chaos, so it's one of those leftovers from the conjunction. Mm. It's not aggressive, but there's no antidote for its venom. So even though it's kind of slow moving, like it could really fuck your shit up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so uh, Zoltan's like, well, how do you plan to kill it? And he hands them the cauldron lid and metal ladle. And Geralt just immediately begins banging on the lid with the ladle. Bang, 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 bang. And like Zoltan's like, well, I guess that's one way, but we should probably get the hell out of Dodge since some music lover has likely heard your symphony. Yep, yep. He basically he he treats it like a like a raccoon that got into your garbage. Like he just like <laughs> he just tries to bang on a pot yes. and like make a whole bunch of noise and scare it away. Yeah, and so the the next night, Zoltan and Geralt are um, having a quiet conversation, and Geralt pulls him aside and says, "Hey, like." how did you know I'm a witcher? Mm-hmm. Because he realized that just from that I had situation that he knew his specialty. Mm-hmm. And Zoltan's like, well, I could tell you it's because I've heard stories about Geralt of Rivia. I could tell you it's based on like the things I've noticed about you. But it was mostly because Dandelion told me everything. He doesn't shut up about anything ever. And he told me all about your mission and all about why you mm-hmm. want to rescue Siri. And like, look, I think it's cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's like, look, let me tell you, I, I know everything I need to know about you. You let that crusty monster go, even though it's your nature to kill monsters. But you knew that it didn't harm you. And that says a lot about you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You think you've changed, but the world has changed. You're still the same. But you can just forget the idea that you're going off alone because we're going with you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Geralt gets really frustrated, even though, like, you know, Zoltan's not the type probably that's going to use this information against him. He feels betrayed by Mm -hmm, Dandelion. mm -hmm. So he goes back to camp, pulls Dandelion aside and is like, 
what the hell are you thinking? Why are you telling people all about me? Mm-hmm. And like, so Dan Lyon's one of those people. I don't know if you've known these kind of people in your experience, but people that blend into any social situation. Yeah, they have social chameleons. And like, he loves the dwarves. Like he loves dwarven oh, yeah. culture yep. and he's gotten to be fast friends with them. He does everything like them. They give he's him wearing a... clothes like yep. him. <laughs> Um, and so like, I picture him like in all dwarven garb and being like, this isn't a phase, dad. <laughs> it's not a phase. You just don't get it. <laughs> they understand me. Yeah. They understand him because they think he's a hero because he writes dirty li- limericks, swears and spits and tries to, uh, be a philandering jerk. And so like. Geralt's like, people have always warned me not to travel with you. They said I should leave you in a ditch somewhere to mm-hmm. die. Like, maybe I should have listened to them. And Dan's like, I don't get what the secret is. Like, you need to keep this. Why? Like, why is it hush, hush? Like, this mm-hmm. is our company mm-hmm. now. This is the, these are the people that we're traveling with. Like, they need to know something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Geralt says, I don't have a company and I don't need a company. Get mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Edgelordy Ness is coming back. Yep, yep. And Milva comes out of nowhere and she's like, of course he gets it. Do you? And Geralt's like, I've had enough of everyone. I'm riding off to Siri and not raid a whole kingdom. Mm-hmm. Dan's lion storms off and then Geralt says to Milva, sort of revealing what's behind this anchor a little bit, saying like, I had that dream again about her. She was dancing in a smoky barn, but this time she was happy. But I know she needs me, and I know I'm running out of time. Mm-hmm. And so Milva, making sure she's out of earshot, uh, both Dandelion and Geralt says, it's not just her that needs you. So the next stop, Geralt is admiring Zoltan's sword. Mm-hmm. It's a sihil, and it's three feet long, but only weighs two pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, the metal is blue and razor sharp, has lizard skin hilt, and cylindrical pommel instead of a round one. And Percy the gnome says, like, uh, so basically, this is a whole conversation between Zoltan and Percy bragging about mm-hmm. sword-making abilities of dwarves and mm-hmm. gnomes. Claiming that the, the dwarves make them engineering-wise correct, but Percy, the gnome, insists that, well, you may make them you know, structurally sound and engineered well, but the gnomes make them pretty. Right, and also, like... He explains that most human-made swords are built with a strong core and then like the outside is built around that and dwarven blades are built the other way around. They mm-hmm. have like a soft core, so it's a little more flexible and a little lighter. Mm-hmm. And uh, Geralt starts talking about his own witcher sword and says it's elven-made. And Zoltan says like, actually it's old and it's made using dwarven techniques. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It just turns into a whole conversation about how humans can't properly sharpen swords and mm-hmm. like really the dwarven technology that like is sort of lost to us is what makes the sharpest swords and not a lot of people have access to that. Yeah, it, it, just a whole lot of like sword smithing geeking out here, which is kind of fun, but also kind of hard to summarize. <laughs> and, a, and a little future casting because a little bit, yeah. Geralt says like, he did not. He did not realize at the time that he'd have to put the sihil to good use. Yeah. Yep. So the next day, um, they come across some shacks that seem to be occupied, which is weird because they're mm. in war torn country and mm-hmm. most people are gone yep. and running away. Mm-hmm. And so, like 
Percy the gnome, who has been scouting, reports that the house has food. Like, it smells like porridge. Mm-hmm. And Dandelion is like, how do you know? Do you go in the house and look at, like, what's on the stove? And he's like, Zoltan says, Percy can snuff out grub from a mile away. Milva is like, wait, this seems a little too good to be true. Like, mm-hmm. if the porridge is made with milk, that means there's a cow. And villagers with cows frequently take the cow into the forest to hide. So why isn't this one hiding in the forest mm-hmm. with its owner? And so they decide to go in and they surround it. Zoltan claims um, when he's going in that he'll make us sound like a jackdaw if there's danger. Dandelion's like, how would we know that? You're really bad at making bird sounds. And Zoltan says, yeah, exactly. If you hear a weird sound, it's me. If, if you hear some kind of weird messed up bird off in the bushes, <laughs> it's me. <laughs> the dwarves approach the cottage. Two of them go as tribute. The dog starts barking and everyone's standing around sort of as like uh, making sure that they're covered if something goes wrong. And a girl runs out and she starts yelling things to the dwarves. And the dwarves are immediately like, fuck, we're out of here. And they start running in terror. All of this happening out of earshot, you know, because no one can hear what's going on. But all they see is their their dwarf buddies running in terror. And Melva raises uh, her arrow, like, not sure what she should be aiming at. And, like, no one knows what's going on. Like, no danger seems to be around. Mm -hmm. And so dwarves come back and say, like, it's the plague. It's smallpox. And Mm -hmm. we were Mm -hmm. so close. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, my God. And, like, Zoltan's, like, stepping away. Like, I don't want to get too close. Yeah. How close did you guys get? Uh, Did you breathe hard? They were saved by the dog in this case because he wouldn't even let them get close. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're watching. And then suddenly riders surround the farm and they kick the dog Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. grab the girl and they ignore her warnings about the plague. And they start like basically trying to rape her. Mm -hmm. And Geralt is like, I can't. I've spent long enough waiting and observing like all of the things that are going on as a result of war. I'm not going Mm -hmm. to do that right now. Mm And he's like, I'm going to go down and take on the riders. Zoltan and everyone else is like, are you crazy, Geralt? You're going to go and take on like 11 people at the same time? And Melva's like, let me go with you. And Geralt's like, no, I'm just going to do this myself. Mm-hmm. You should be backup. You're best at a range anyway. So mm-hmm. just be my backup. Zoltan's like, wait, take my Sahil. Like, it'll come in handy. Yeah, yeah, you can try it out. And so Geralt walks up to the men who are attempting to rape this woman and he asked, does the name Siri mean anything to you? And he's just like seething with anger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Before he really even knows what, what's happening, he's like just launching into a bloody mess of a battle between him and the other men. Mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. don't even know what's coming. Yep. And so arrows start flying too and mm-hmm. like hitting other men. And like Geralt's just like cutting everyone down left and right. Uh, Mm -hmm. Zoltan sword is cutting through them like butter. The other men are just running away because like, fuck, I don't even know what to do. Yeah, they're like my buddies are literally dead almost instantaneously. Only one manages to get away. They're like, Milva, you got to get them. And so Mm -hmm. Milva actually is able to hit him in the shoulder 200 paces away which Zoltan's like what a shot and Geralt's like what a shot in my ass like he's still like getting away she lines it up like raises it arcs it perfectly over the cottage into the trail (laughs) into the forest like from like 200 paces away which is like 
at least 150 to 200 yards. Um, yeah, like it is a straight up impossible shot. Hits him right back in the shoulder in the shoulder blade, but he doesn't go down. As uh, Geralt is lamenting how he got away, they hear the rider scream and die in the forest down the road. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone's like, was what it poison? Was that was it poison? Was it my arrow? And Melva's like, I think you know, Geralt, like who it was. Mm-hmm. And Geralt's like, Ugh. yeah. And like Zoltan's like, yeah, I've noticed that guy like has been following mm-hmm. us. Like mm-hmm. that guy on horseback has been following us for several days and you guys haven't seemed to mind. So I haven't mm-hmm. said anything. And Melville's like, besides, like a rear guard can have its advantages. Mm-hmm. The girl like gets up and she is like kind of struggling to get to her feet. Um, she's just been attacked and mm-hmm. people have mm-hmm. been dying all around her. So she has no clue what to do. And so she scrambles away and like doesn't say anything and Melva's like hey like can we help you with anything and she doesn't respond Mm -hmm. and Zoltan's like so much for human gratitude and Melva's like what does she have to be thankful for and girl's like yeah what does she have to be thankful for and Zoltan's like well there's like all this horse meat now and like (laughs) no one's probably gonna come back so you guys saved her she'll realize that in a few days Mm -hmm. Small epilogue at the end. Uh, they ate horse meat for several days. Um, mm-hmm. So they actually did get something out of it. And Geralt stole a pair of boots off of one of the corpses that ends up being the right size for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Nilfgaardian called Kay here is still riding on their trail. And Geralt finally plays a game of barrel with the dwarves and loses. Mm-hmm. And they never speak about the incident in the forest clearing because after all, what is there to say? Mm -hmm. and that's the end and scene so this was a great chapter though absolutely phenomenal chapter i love this chapter a really formative chapter for our party and Mm -hmm. getting all the members together um it's recognizable now that we actually have a party there is actually additional members so Mm -hmm. i don't want to I don't want you to think that that's it and oh yeah well coalesce well we we know we're getting k here yeah, he's kind yeah, of already He's a, already there. Like, yeah, we're getting K here slash Meat Shield. We've got Zoltan, who's... he He's kind of a Meat Shield, but doesn't really have that necessarily going for him. Uh, Geralt is a damage dealer. Dandelion is moral support. Um, <laughs> and Milva is the rogue. So, yeah. It's a pretty full party so That's far. a pretty full party. There's no healer, though. I mean, like... So unless you get your bard to really high level and they can do like some really good buffs, like there's no healing going on there. There might be a healer that's a pretty... joining the party though. Uh, aha, 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 aha. So I predict we may see that girl healer. What girl healer? Oh, oh, there's your tell. There's your tell. I don't know you who you're talking your, your, about. You squint your eyes a little bit. That girl medical student that girl uh, slept with. Um, back in Oxenfurt? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. You know exactly who I'm talking about because I'm right. You're not right. You're a terrible poker player. We've been over You're this. You're going to see that I am not lying. I am going to see that you lie like a rug. Look. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> you lie like a rug, ma'am. I'm telling you, it's not Shawnee. It's that de- You remember her name. It's Which not, means that you've come across it recently. No, it, also that in, you're probably just good at remembering names, game, and I'm not. She's in the game, like she's in Hearts of Stone uh-huh. in the DLC, uh-huh. and you're just like, 
okay, one thing is when people are doing that, it's very hard for me not to laugh. I know. know. And the other thing is you're wrong. And Uh there's another character that you're going to be like, oh, of course. Hmm. Peta wizard? No. Hmm. There's no wizard per se. Well, no, I mean like Peter, Peta sorcerer, the the guy. Who's I said like, there's no sorcerer joining okay, the party. Fine, but you gotta have a magic caster. You gotta have a caster. Like, they what really if there's need a, a caster. caster that's not necessarily a sorcerer or a sorceress? What if there's someone kind of magical, like, but not necessarily a sorcerer or a sorceress? Is what I'm asking. I mean, I remember there being druids somewhere, but I can't remember who was a druid. And I, don't, I think, are the druids only in the game? No, there's druids. I, I thought they were mentioned in the book, but they're not heavily focused on. Huh. Well, I think that you're not going to figure this one out, so we might as well have a drink. I suppose. I Yeah, I think we need to have a drink at this point. So shall we have a nightcap? I think so. Okay. So tonight, in honor of our girl Milva um, making a spectacular 200 paced out once in a lifetime sniper shot, <laughs> No sco- 360 no scope into the woods. We are drinking uh, Noble Cider Golden Arrow. Hmm. Um, it is a ginger hard cider. It is from Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, uh, very hipster. Yeah, we don't we don't do a lot of ciders. Um, but I think the last like three or four drinks that I found are, have been ciders. So this was one of my finds. This noble vagabond shoots straight for your thirst and always hits his mark. Packing a one-two punch of spicy raw ginger and candied ginger smoothness, his aim is true to your core. Hmm, I like that description. Very apt. <laughs> Their tagline is true to the core. Um, and it's got a little, like, archer guy on the front of it. It's kind of... have an archer lady. Archer lady, not archer. It's archer person, not archer lady. So, um, one of the things that I've, I've run into actually recently is that uh, sometimes I'll find drinks that don't necessarily fit as well for the episode but i want to try them more do i go for the one that's thematically fitting or the one that i want to try more Mm. i mean that's always a good question Mm -hmm. and i don't think there's any right answer tonight i decided to stick to my artistic integrity and chose the one that thematically fit more so the golden arrow fits thematically because milva is doing a lot of like badass like art exactly this, exactly this yep. chapter yeah i want to see ep- say episodes <laughs> i mean we're doing episodes so yeah. yeah it's still technically correct the best kind of correct so uh shall we give this one a try i think so yeah oh actually i gotta open it first it is a can so oh i, I can already smell the ginger I love ginger and cider. Uh-huh. It's such a great combination. It's got like a little bit of spice and I'm not, you know that I'm not the biggest fan of sweet. Like, so I need to have something almost cutting it. So I like a dry cider or I like a juicy cider with ginger. Mm-hmm. It counteracts the other flavors to me. Yeah. Cider is is a hard one for me to balance, honestly. It's either like too sweet or like way too dry yeah and like i think most of the mass-produced ciders like are very sweet like i like angry orchard but it is very sweet mm-hmm. i think i like mckenzie's simply because it's made in new york i don't really like mckenzie's yeah i mean 
like I said, I'm not a huge cider person in the first place, but. So it appears to be moderately unfiltered. Um, though I don't know if you can really unfilter uh, cider. Um, you probably have to filter a lot mm -hmm. of it. Yeah, because there's way too much naturally occurring yeast in apples. Um, yeah, if you make apple juice and just like let it go, it will ferment on its own. Even if you have like pasture, I can't count the number of times that I've accidentally made hard cider in the fridge mm -hmm. um, because I've gotten like regular cider and like just left it in there for like a month it's easy to do mm -hmm. it's easy to self-ferment the, <laughs> the interesting thing is that it's i have tried it almost every single time never once gotten sick knock on wood knock on my head here um i have not once gotten sick from it but uh it, it always ends up coming out pretty good but i'm just always afraid to drink more than a taste of it yeah it seems like you could get violently sick mm -hmm. you're yeah. braver than i am there probably will come a day when it will it, it, it's gonna get me at some point your stomach is way stronger <laughs> it is but it isn't <laughs> like i you know like it's it's weird because like i'll be like oh that you know seven day old cheese that's just been kind of sitting un uncovered in the fridge eh, let's give it a shot well, cheese is probably not the worst. That's true. Thing cheese, to deal cheese with. was a bad example in that in that case. Like, um, like meat that has just gone a little bit bad. It, or... No, it's not. It you you know when meat goes bad. Like it's it's obvious. I'm deeply cautious. I know you are. I've gotten food poisoning a lot. I'm... But yeah, like so the amount of times where I've I've done like oh this is this chili is like a month old. Eh, it's probably no, still good. No, um, and no. I'm fine. But then, like, once in a while, it's like, oh, that uh, that soup had some extra onions in it. And I'm like, I, I'm near death kind of thing. Like, So with that so, food poisoning talk, should yeah. we try the cider? <laughs> yeah. This is just what people wanted to hear, right? This is what they come for? Yeah. Is, yeah. So it's very, uh, it definitely looks like it's unfiltered. Um, it's very carbonated. Um, it's a golden color. Hmm. Very ginger. I mean, ginger hits you straight in the face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the ginger is real punchy on the nose. I'm getting like apple and pear. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely giving getting like big getting like big pear notes here under the ginger, um, but not a whole lot else. I I think it's definitely pretty heavily carbonated. Um, we'll see. A carbonation in seltzer or in cider usually comes out pretty good and. Gives that real nice mouth feel. Okay, so shall we try this cider while it's still cold? Yes. Okay. Ooh. It's way more dry than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. The ginger is actually not as strong in the palate as it is on the nose. It's very drinkable. Mm-hmm. It's not overly sweet, which I like in a cider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is that faint pear taste, which is also really good. Mm-hmm. Like, this just is a very drinkable cider. It's like more of a session-y. It's a slightly spicy session-y uh, cider. That's a tongue twister. Try, try saying that. Slightly spicy session-y cider. 
slightly spicy sesame cider. Yeah. Slightly oh, you got. Oh, <laughs> making me look bad over here. I, can't, I don't think I could say it three times fast. OK, I see how it is. Um, I'm getting flashbacks to my my childhood speech therapy classes. So but anyways, I, I think the the term the name Golden Arrow is kind of apt. It's very sharp and kind of hits in just the right places as as our girl Melva like to uh, like to be able to do. Is that is that a little too ham fisted of an analogy there? Or I think she would approve of it. So. Yeah, I think so too. I I don't know if she's much of a drinker. Well, hmm. <laughs> we might find Wait, that are out. We, are we gonna find that out? We might find that. Oh, out. <laughs> ooh, accidental. Maybe not, maybe not in the way you think. <laughs> accidental plot spoiling. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I am. I'm. Oh. Oh. Now you got my curiosity peaked. It's gonna be a fun chapter. That's all I can say about <sighs> chapter three. Oh, even next. We're gonna find out next chapter. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. I am I'm completely here for it. I am absolutely 100% here for it. So, do we have any uh do we have any I think it's time for last call. Do we have any saved rounds, alibis? Yeah. So, I think there are a couple of major things that are happening in this chapter. Mm-hmm. So, one is that we have this core party form between Geralt, Milva, and Dan Lyon. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what you think the chemistry is like between these three. Um, it's really interesting. <laughs> I know that's a really weak way of describing it, but um, they work. I even said to you, uh, when we were just talking about uh, at some point, the chemistry between Milva and Geralt is really interesting because they're basically the same character. But I think maybe that they're they just have un- different enough disciplines that they just recognize that they are both basically like the penultimate. Like she's like the penultimate like archer, hunter, trapper person, and Geralt is the penultimate like monster hunter and they just recognize excessive amounts of skills in each other yeah and dandelion ends up sort of being the same uh same foil to each of them because Mm -hmm. of their similarities he ends up being the comic relief that's true he is isn't he but in one way i think milva milva does have a strength that Geralt doesn't Mm -hmm. she is a little bit more understanding Mm -hmm. and a Mm -hmm. little bit more like i don't want to say resilient but i think Geralt gets grumpy a lot and i think milva is way more able to just like Mm -hmm. roll with the punches and just be like you know give mercy um like with Kay here she really Mm -hmm. encourages Mm -hmm. him to not be so harsh yeah yeah no i think you're completely right in that that um he she is very much more i think she's more emotionally emotionally resilient i think is the best way to describe it yeah 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 that is that is pretty spot on um she yeah Geralt tends to try to throw the baby out with the bathwater a little bit and he kind of like okay well this one thing didn't as I, i i think i find that a relatable trait in that like if one thing doesn't go exactly right I'm very quick to just be like, all right, we'll burn the whole the whole damn thing down. We're we're done with it here and just move on to the next thing. And I think it might be in a sense because Milva has this um she's a little bit better at identifying like the gray area between good and bad. Like mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. that Geralt's very good at finding people who have like good intentions and mm-hmm. are good in nature. Yeah. 
but he often struggles with that gray area. Like, mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. though he himself is in a bit of a gray area, I think mm-hmm. that he doesn't really give people the benefit of the doubt. Like, he sort hey of... now, don't be making fun of his hair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think he sort of splits things a little bit. I think once... Like those hairs. Once people... Once people um, cross over the threshold, um, they're just not okay. Like, mm, mm. Kay here, even though he knows now, like, for example, Kay here told him that he was the one that saved Siri. Yeah. But all yep. he can see is that this was the person this that This guy Siri. is bad, yes. Yeah. Uh, Geralt... There's no nuance. There's no, like, oh, this person might actually be okay. Yeah, Geralt doesn't allow for dynamic growth of other people. He wants, he sees everyone else as static because he himself is mostly static. Or at least we know, we know that he's not really static. He views himself as static. It's weird because Mm. I feel like with the people he's closest to, he sometimes is able to understand that. Yeah. Like if you think about his relationship with Yennefer, like mm-hmm. she hasn't only done things that are good in a lot of ways his love blinds him i understand that yeah but yeah. at the same time i think he is very he's very like just because he knows her so well and he's known her for so long i think he's more uh aware of the gray areas and her mm-hmm. intentions and um but he doesn't really extend that same courtesy or understanding to other people and we will see that sometimes he struggles with that with Yennefer as well. I think with Yennefer, he just like he's learned to like, I, I say it a lot as a joke, like, don't ask questions you don't want to know the answers to. <laughs> like, That's interesting. So he wants to believe a certain thing about Yennefer. Oh, absolutely. I, th- I think. Well, and like, I think he he has for a long time only seen the end result with Yennefer. He's never really inspected how the sausage gets made with Yennefer. Um, so like, he's never really seen how she goes about getting the thing done. Um, but he's For example. So I I can only like kind of relate this to the video game because, and I know there's other smaller examples in the book, but I'm going to, I'm going to draw on the video game here for a minute. Um, in the mission where you're playing, uh, and Yennefer steals the mask from the Skellige Isle. And yes, I know you were playing that mission like two nights ago, but I think it's a good it's a good example of this. In this instance, Geralt knows what what went down, but Geralt knows that the reason Yennefer did what she did was to in order to find Siri. So for him, the the ends justify the means. So what, whatever they're trying to accomplish, if it's a good intention, then it doesn't really matter how they get there. He doesn't believe that for himself. But he's not going to stand in the way of someone else doing that just because he's not okay with pushing the envelope in terms of like what's acceptable and what's within the bounds of of what you're accomplishing. He's not going to stop anyone within within some reason, you know, obviously he's, you know, not okay with like rape and murder, Um, apparently perfectly okay with horse butchery. Yeah, he's really Um, horse. apparently. Dude fucking hates horses. Um, he's like the director for the 1950s Ben-Hur. Yeah, he, he's like the director for the uh, 1950s Ben-Hur movie. 
We get um, further confirmation in this chapter, by the way, that every horse is named Roach because yes. Dan Lyon pokes fun at Geralt and says, like, uh, he's like, Geralt's like, what should I name this horse? And uh, Dan Lyon's like, how about Roach? And Geralt's like, Roach, nice. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Dan Lyon's like, have you ever had a horse that's not named Roach? Girl's like, nope. No. Doesn't elaborate further. <laughs> Back to Milva. I think she's a little bit better at uh, giving people the benefit of the doubt. And um, yeah, I think she's better at nuance. And I think that she's mm-hmm. able to kind of be Geralt plus. I think she's able to help him understand because she speaks his language. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's able to help yes. him understand in a way that like speaks to him. Yes. But there is this very interesting misunderstanding that they have in this early point in their relationship Mm -hmm. where she thinks that Geralt is trying to save Ciri because he's in love with her. Mm -hmm. And even though I've said in the past that I think that they have this sort of platonic relationship, I think Milva does have a crush on Geralt. Oh, yeah. No, I, I definitely got that vibe as well that there was just a twinge of jealousy there. And Um, that's sort of where that sarcasm came, mm -hmm, where it was mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, you're just going to march down to Nilfgaard. (laughs) Just going to row your rowboat up to Nilfgaard. (laughs) I thought she was hilarious. Oh, my God. It was it was like the best like ranger shade I've ever come across. Yes. Beautiful. Um, But like, yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a little bit of like a tiny crush there. Um, I think she's probably a little bit aware of it. Um, and probably wouldn't, I mean, like there, there's that definitely that scene where there, where Geralt is being vulnerable and telling him about her, about his dreams where she's like scooting up to him and like, kind of like snuggling in and like, Ooh, well, what, what happened next in your dream? And like, I think Geralt was just kind of like, yeah. And then, uh, then I saw like a whole (laughs) bunch of death and destruction and like just completely oblivious to everything because Geralt does not understand subtlety. I think there's a lot of fascination and a lot of curiosity for Melva because mm-hmm. Geralt is so different than most of the people she interacts with. Yeah, yeah, I, I could definitely see that. And also, I think that, like, here's someone who's clearly vulnerable and, like, mm-hmm. has an interesting story. And yeah, I'm compelled yep. by that. But, like, why would she go after him unless she was somewhat interested? Yeah, like, yeah. It, she cares about him in mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. way. Why else would she risk her neck for this? Yeah, yeah. And like you can you can obviously care about a friend in that way. But like it helps if there's just a slight hint of romantic interest as well. I think there is something that is made really clear when she says like when Geralt keeps saying Siri needs me and she whispers to herself mm-hmm. like she's not the only one that mm-hmm. needs you. Mm-hmm. Which, I just found that interesting. When you when you read that, I I took that as her trying to tell him that Dandelion needs him. But you caught that she didn't say that to Geralt. She said it to herself. Yeah, I think it's actually like she realizes that there is a possibility. Maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the the there's a there's a hint of a a slight burgeoning romance there that she's harboring. I think it's Geralt. her. I think like he's mm-hmm. got so much going on in his life mm-hmm. between Siri and like his situationship with mm-hmm. Jennifer and like what's going on with that. <laughs> like I think he's like so overloaded he would never even pick up on that. But I think that's like something that 
draws her to him initially. Mm-hmm. Well, as as I've as I said before, Geralt also doesn't do subtlety, so like he's not subtlety. <laughs> he doesn't pick up on that, like unless you come out right and say it. Um, and he's also never been in a relationship where things are equal. Like, mm, mm. I think that he's usually been in a relationship where either he's just very into that person and they're not really showing a lot of signs to him. Yeah. Outwardly, yep. at least. Um, or he's been with people that are completely infatuated, but there hasn't been anything that's like super subtle. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it might be hard for him to read the signs. But I yeah. thought that was interesting at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I kind of love that dynamic between the two of them, honestly. Um, and I, I think you're very much right in that, that she, I, I had the thought that she, Geralt has been with people who, who can communicate with him, but they don't understand him. She understands him very well. She understands him and can communicate with him. He's just oblivious. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a very rare trait for Geralt. Um, that she understands things from his perspective. And I think, I think his sensitiveness and his like vulnerability actually were what won her over. And I I think I said that on the last episode, but yeah, I think that it's an interesting dynamic to watch. Um, I also think, um, it's interesting because like, we've seen a lot of war happening to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, like we've seen a lot of battles and we've heard about the aftermath of war, mm-hmm. but this is like really showing us the consequence of like all of the things that have been building to this point. So yeah, the yep. fact that the backdrop of this is just walking through fields of corpses. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's, it's weird because it's such a fun chapter um, but the background and the setting of it is very, very, very dark. And grim, yeah. Um, but that may be kind of the intent of why Anse did that was because otherwise this chapter would be like very upsetting and depressing and no one would want to read it. Um, so I think that's kind of like part of why he added a lot of comedic relief because he knew people would need it. Yeah. And like it's sort of also there's a theme in this chapter of finding the bright spots in a very uh, dark time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like introducing Zoltan, for example, is yeah. finding the good in the not so good. Like, so the setting is really when they meet Zoltan, the setting is like they're in the middle of the like war torn area of the forest mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they hear singing and it's yeah. not yep. the singing they would expect. It's happy singing. It's like mm-hmm. familiar singing. And so when they meet Zoltan, it's someone who is able to look on the bright side of things, even though it seems impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Like it seems impossible in a time like that to be like, oh, yeah, like we can still find good in the world. Mm-hmm. We can still sing like, yeah. And one of the themes I kind of notice in this is that your friends and your family and your support network are your light when in dark times. You know, they they are who you ultimately lean on when things get hard. Um, they are who you look to for that that levity, the ones that you rely on kind of thing. Yeah, and like, so I want to give you some space because I know that Zoltan is a favorite 
for you. So talk about Zoltan. What do you like about Zoltan? Oh, okay. Um, so I mean, like I, I kind of talked about, like I really resonate with his, you know, idea of being like a good person that like you can't possibly be, you can't possibly be all good all the time. Um, you are a villain to someone somewhere at the end of the day. Like that's just a fact of life. I'm not saying it's okay to steal food from like refugees. Um, but we also don't know the back, the full backstory. I'd like to think that there was like, they tried to kill all the dwarves because they didn't like them because they were non-humans. And as a result, like Zoltan took their food. At least I'd like to, I, but I like his idea of like, I want to maximize the good for the people that I can affect change with. I want to, I want to maximize that good and try to try to bring about as much, you know, as much good as I can, honestly, um, by really focusing in on the people who are close to me and focusing in on the people I can protect. Um, because I obviously can't protect every single person, but I, I have this circle of people. So uh, the whole thing kind of has just this feel of like non-judgmental moral relativism about Zoltan that I kind of like. fancy words. Yeah, yeah. The, like I, I, I pulled out my thesaurus a little bit on that one. Damn, you've been brushing uh, up. <laughs> um, I, 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 you know, the, it, I used words that had more than two syllables, which is very unusual for me. Oh, give um, yourself some credit for yeah. your syllables. <laughs> But um, I like that Zoltan is just kind of like he's loyal almost to a fault and like he's kind of just down for whatever kind of mischief you're involved in as long as it's not too super illegal. And even then he's probably kind of there mm-hmm. for it a little bit. Um, He's going to help if if it's super illegal, but he knows you're kind of doing a good thing. He's definitely going to help you if it's super illegal and he knows you may not be doing a good thing. He'll probably like set you up with some equipment and then kind of like watch the door for you, (laughs) but doesn't want to be the guy that's going in necessarily. So we saw a little bit more of Kay here, Mm -hmm. this chapter. And were you like surprised to see him come back? I was, but I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily expecting him to be like part of the party. Um, but I was expecting to see more of him somewhere along the line because it did sound like they were kind of building him up to have some sort of movement somewhere in some way. Just because, once again, Chekhov's gun, or Chekhov's, like, plot device, I guess, for lack of a better description, um, that he was given, like, a background and said, like, oh, yeah, he pissed off Amir because of reasons we don't fully know what yet. But it's kind of like this big, the camera always cuts away, when he when he's about to explain what he actually did, kind of thing. Um, so I do feel like it's going to be kind of a big like a big reveal at some point, the exact details of what went down, kind of thing. Yeah, and we find out more about Kay here as we go on. Um, I think this relationship with him and Gerald, where Gerald's like pretty much like fight me, like mm-hmm. I, I don't want to spare you anymore. I just want you dead. Yeah, is yep. interesting because we know that he has been told that Kay here was the one that saved Siri. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, like, Geralt is basically using Kay here as like this big scapegoat for mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. all of Nilfgaard and Amir and basically all the people who are pursuing Siri. Yeah, yeah. But like, is it really a scapegoat if he is actually the reason that she got away? But is he though? 
Well, we don't know. That's the thing. Like, we don't know the details of, like, what happened because it keeps cutting away. Well, I'm just saying that he is sort of um, projecting all of the frustrations he has about, like, Siri being pursued onto this one man. Well, yeah, because he is literally, like, the figurehead. He's the first one that is encountering, that is catching up with Siri. He's the first one catching up with Geralt. Um, so as a result, he is kind of the stand-in for all of the frustration that Geralt has at um, Nilfgaard and Amir and the fact that Ciri is being pursued. But as Dandelion says to Geralt, like, he's clearly being pursued by Amir and the powers that be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Exactly. Okay, okay thank you, Sun Tzu. <laughs> well, that's what Dandelion literally says. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, you know... There's a reason that Kay here is being pursued, but like Geralt can't see past that ire. Like mm-hmm, he can't mm-hmm. see past that initial frustration. Yeah. I think that's one of the themes of this chapter is just Geralt's all-consuming rage. Yeah, yep. Because he's not able to like really control it as well as he usually is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like when they're, just to fast forward a little bit, when they're at that plague-ridden village mm-hmm. and he is approached by all of these like ragtag like cowboy yeah. men he just his, unleashes his first instinct is yep gonna kill him but like but, not even but why he's gonna kill him just gonna just gonna blinding kill him. rage yep. like blackout killing yep. like yep. this is killing like we've never seen from Geralt this, this is true we've always ever we, we, we've only ever seen Geralt killing with a reason um, there's always been like a purpose behind it. It's always been very methodical, very surgical. Now I think it's now it's personal, you know, um, and it just it has that flair to it. And then we also find out that he is like projecting this image of Siri onto the woman who's attacked. Like, yeah, he yep. could have sworn that this woman who she was had attacked green eyes, she had yep. just like Siri. Yep. So like in his mind. He can't protect Siri right now, so his mind is like projecting this image of Siri onto mm-hmm. a woman who can be saved. Right yeah, now. yep, yep. She is she is a Freudian level projection of Siri in this moment. Because this is like his all-consuming goal right now is to find Siri, save mm-hmm, Siri, mm-hmm. and that's all he can think about. Yeah, like, yeah. It's the only thing that can help him, and I think K here, like his frustration at K here, ties into that because. If he can just be angry, if he can just be mad Mm -hmm. at something else, something external, he doesn't turn the rage inward. Yes. Why couldn't I save her? Yes. Uh, Yeah. He he deflects from turning his rage inward um, and he doesn't necessarily, um, he deflects from turning the rage inward, but he also... um, has something else to like latch onto and as a means of control. Um, they're normally very like witchers seem to be all about like emotional stability and stoicism and like emotional control. This is like the first time that he's ever never really had control over his emotions. Mm. Um, and he also feels very much out of control with uh, the fact that Siri is not with him. Um, I have control over the situation. I can kill everyone here. <laughs> Yeah, you can. I mean, is it a it's healthy a, way to deal with your emotions? Not 
I don't think so. <laughs> but it is a thing you can do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is, in fact, a thing you can do, TM. <laughs> <laughs> Things you can do. Yeah, yeah. Murder an entire group of ragtag, like... Bandits. <laughs> yeah, whatever they are. They like, were, were they, ba- they didn't, they didn't really say, but they definitely like they seemed were like... Sort of like a pseudo-military, like, almost mercenary group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think that that was... They, they were probably, like, just spinoffs of, like... They were probably, like, the old... Um, the old uh like the crappy infantry unit that kind of got left behind because nobody really wanted them there in the first place and so they just kind of ran off and started doing their own thing i think they all were wearing different uniforms and were clearly sort of a group of 'er ne'er-do-wells yeah you know what i wonder if they stole the uniforms Hmm. actually more than more than likely they probably did if they were like peasants that just kind of rallied together i had a thought about um our party versus the rats okay yep and i think that they actually are interesting when juxtaposed because Mm, they're sort mm -hmm. of like opposites yeah they come together in similar ways like i i did absolutely pick up that that juxtaposition that like Geralt's kind of forming his own party and siri is kind of got kind of got adopted into the rats which are a party in and of themselves yeah, because you have a group that's forged by adversity. Both mm-hmm. groups are that way. Yeah. They all have vastly different backgrounds and different skill sets. But mm-hmm. one is trying to find Siri while one is just trying to like do as much. They're basically hedonists. Like, yeah, yep, do whatever yep. feels good in the moment, whatever that means. Yeah. Like, we are just going to do whatever feels good. And Geralt's party is a lot more like we need to get to a place, we need to accomplish an objective, we need to do the thing. Like the rats are more like chaotic neutral. Mm-hmm. Geralt's party is more like Geralt's party is more. They're kind of a like neutral, kind good. of a neutral good. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. like on one hand. They are a little chaotic this chapter, but mostly mm-hmm. like a neutral good. Well, are they chaotic or disorganized? <laughs> because I, so, ask, I ask myself this every you day. Ask yourself, <laughs> <laughs> am I chaotic or just disorganized? Am I am I an agent of chaos or just badly organized? Um, it's a good question, though. It is a solid question because, like one one implies like a psychological motivation, and the other implies ineptitude. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I say this including myself in that conversation, not necessarily directed at you, because I, I ask myself the same questions often as well. So when I, I say neutral, I think they can swing between lawful and chaotic, depending on mm-hmm. what is happening at the moment. Yeah, um, yeah. But they don't seem to have like one clear code. Yeah, uh, yeah. Other than like, we try to do good. It's, it's yeah. kind of the Zoltan it's, method. Yes, like, it's, it's more of a guideline to do good than a than a strict like adherence to a law (laughs) do good when it makes sense i like that (laughs) (laughs) might be a little too squishy in it's uh in it's uh deterministicness but determinism is that a word i i don't know i think you're making up words i might be making up words tonight it kind of works (laughs) yeah okay 
when Zoltan and Geralt have this conversation where Zoltan is like, I know you're a witcher. I know this Mm -hmm. is what you do. And like one of the reasons like I respect you so much is I saw that you let that creature go and you could have easily killed it. Yep. But this also like brings up the fact that Geralt has almost hung up his like witcher swords. Like he (laughs) is like walking away from the path. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is kind of crazy for a book series called The, the Witcher. Witcher. Um, what do you make of him like sort of walking away and forsaking this? Well, so I, I've i never seen the because Geralt has actually always been this way. Um, he's not necessarily like Geralt is not a killing machine, even when it comes to monsters. Um, he recognizes the right that all life has to exist. Um Right is a strong word, but the he recognizes that, you know, um, Crab Monster wasn't hurting anybody. Crab Monster was just doing Crab Monster things. Um, wasn't really a risk to anybody. Wasn't really dangerous to anybody. So leave it alone, you know. Um, but it doesn't seem like he's even... It doesn't seem like he's even, like, going to be taking contracts for money. Like, that seems to be, like, the least of his concerns right now. So, in that way, he's Mm -hmm. left the trade behind. Yeah. In terms of, of like, taking contracts for money, um, yeah, he's definitely not doing that anymore. Probably because he just doesn't have time to. Um, He's he's riding off to Nilfgaard real hard and doesn't have time to stop off on the way to, to kill, you know, 35 drowners and collect three crowns. But it's it's what's no longer important to him. Mm-hmm, like the money mm-hmm. is no longer important. Yeah, yep. The money only matters in what it can get for him yep, in terms yes. of rescuing Siri. Yep. So in that way, his being a witcher, which I think the definition of a witcher is doing these contracts not because you're trying to achieve anything, but that's just what you do. Yeah. It's yep. like being a baker. Like, why yeah, are you I... a baker? <laughs> like because that's what I do. I, I can't turn it off. I can't turn that switch off. Like, it's just, yeah, I keep trying to get out of it, and they keep dragging me back in. Um, and and I, think, I think part of it also kind of comes into a value balance that, like, um, he sees that the money is not worth the time anymore. Time is the most valuable currency. Yes, yep. So, like, you look at, like, uh, you know, we kind of get back to that idea of, like, everything has a price. Everyone has a price. You know, what is yours? Um, eventually, you kind of get to a point, like, so if you, you know, uh, we'll, we'll talk about, like, anybody can relate to having a job. What is the price point? If you're completely fed up with a job that you're at the point where you just want to walk away from it, what is the price point that if they, if someone turned around and said, I will give you X amount of dollars to stick around for another month at what if you're already at the point where you either don't need the money or you are just so sick of it that you just want to walk away what is the what is the price you know if someone offered you $150 an hour for the next month to keep doing the job that you kind of hate but you don't need to do would you do it no well what about $200 an hour what about 250 you know, eventually you get to a point where it's like, okay, well, that might be worth it, you know? Yeah, and it's not a choice a lot of people have to ever contend with mm-hmm. because most employers don't do that. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, like, the, the point is still kind of kind of relevant here in that, like, 
his time his time and his his priority to rescuing Siri is more important than like you said anything any any money that could be gotten from hunting monsters and like maybe Geralt would have gotten to this point eventually without mm-hmm. having Siri in his life like yeah yep you know it seems like there was very much the inner desire to someday retire from all of this mm-hmm. find mm-hmm. a cabin you know, make Yennefer an honest woman and, you know, <laughs> like have a life, like enjoy life a little bit. Yennefer would define herself as an honest woman either either way and doesn't yes. doesn't need to fit into your ideas of True. definitions True. I did of not what mean is honest and unhonest, dishonest. I'm just saying, like, I think that Geralt might have gotten to this point eventually, but the serious situation and everything that's going on in the world has forced his hand. Because, like, did, you know, like, the Witcher profession is, in a lot of ways, like, the only thing he's ever known. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But at a certain point, it's like, I've done this for so many years. Like, I'm almost 100 yep, years yep. old. Like, when when do I stop yeah, risking yep. my neck yep. for Kikamara's or, mm-hmm. like, you know, you go into that forest and you don't know if you'll ever come back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that gets a little old. Um so it's interesting. I think this has sort of sped up an inve- like an eventuality because mm-hmm. like I think that so we've heard like in multiple Witcher platforms the line like mm-hmm. no Witcher has ever died in his bed. Yeah. Well, so I was kind of thinking on that a little bit and I think part of that may be more that it's so when you and and there's this thing that like there's this thing in in very like high risk high danger professions um where like if you've spent your life as like a top fuel drag racer you know run, making 250 mile an hour passes um you know every weekend down at the speedway for 40 some odd years and you finally come time to retire it's kind of hard to just like sit on the couch and stare at the wall. Um, there's not really anything to compare to um, that. Like once you're used to that sort of like adventure, that level of like intensity, um, everything else seems kind of dull. Um, and I think, I think part of the, part of what it's hinting at, cause I was kind of wondering, you know, like if we took Yen and Siri completely out of the equation, what would Gar- what does Geralt spend his money on? Um, I mean, a I, sick leather jacket. <laughs> well, apparently he loves so, leather jackets. So, like, I was thinking about that. Like the other the other witchers, I'm sure they probably spend the money on like booze and women. Um, and I don't mean to sound that like mean it, that to sound like objectifying in any way. Um, but like, you know, they 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 waste their money is more of the point that I was trying to make. I think Geralt probably bought, you know, would be buying sick leather jackets every once in a while. But you can only buy so many sick leather jackets. So what is he doing with that money? So eventually, like, he should theoretically get to a point where, like, he w- even without Siri, without Yen, he should eventually get to a point where, like, he just doesn't need the money anymore. But the thing is, is that, like, and this this happens in situations where, like, you look at any of the universal basic income um experiments and going going real deep with the with the economic models here um the people who didn't have to worry about money did something 
they don't just sit at home. Like it, it, it's kind of a misconception that people who don't have to worry about money sit at home and just, you know, stare out the window and, you know, watch movies all day, which I mean, I think some of them do, but someone like Geralt, when all you know is hunting monsters. And I think that's, that, I think that's actually the deeper meaning of that phrase that no witcher dies in their bed is because they don't know how to do that. They don't know how to die quietly in their bed. Um, they, they can't, they can't, they can't not be a witcher. This is actually making me think of a broader theme of the Witcher series, which is that one of the things that all of these characters are looking for is family, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. family, the thing that's been taken from them. Yes. Like, so you think about Yennefer really wanting to Mm -hmm. conceive a child. Mm -hmm. Like she wants a family. Yeah. You think about Geralt constantly having mom issues and searching Mm -hmm. for visions of his mother and women. Yeah. Like he wants family. Yeah. yeah. Like all these foundlings, like Mm -hmm. the things that connect them is that their families are gone. Yep. Yep. And what do you want most in the world when your family has been taken from you? Mm Mm-hmm. You want to somehow find that. You want that comfort. Yep. And so when we look at all of these ragtag group that we've assembled, mm-hmm. Milva lost her dad. Yep. Dandelion, who knows what's up with him? Like, I, he probably never, has a family we, somewhere. He's definitely got to have family issues. <laughs> like, there's no way anyone's like that without having family issues. Kay here, estranged from his dad mm-hmm, and everything mm-hmm. because of the impossible task which he was given. Yep. And yep. having a conscience. Um, we think about the rats, like yeah. all their families are gone. Yes. Um, and then like our main characters, of course, like mm-hmm. we know about Yennefer and Geralt, but also Siri watched her, like she didn't have parents to begin with. And mm-hmm. then her grandmother died in a bloody siege. So yeah, all yep. of these people are looking for family and building it where they can. Mm-hmm. And once they find it, they don't want to give it up, Yeah, which is why Geralt is so he's like fighting for this mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. Ciri's his daughter, the closest like mem- that he's had to family. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's something that really resonates with me now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. And I was going to say uh, where my prior my prior analysis kind of falls apart is well, and I don't want to say it falls apart, but like it, the, the 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 X factor in it is that Yen and Siri are in the picture. And that, like, I think a lot of it was Geralt encountering these things and saying, like, oh, well, I didn't realize that could be an option. Mm. Um, I didn't realize that, like, I could have, you know, a woman in my life who loves me. I could have a daughter type figure who maybe loves me. These are these are being a father or lover, husband model for these people could be something that I could replace witchery in my life with. Hmm. Um, And even if it may not necessarily scratch the same itch, it may be something that could keep him occupied enough to maybe not have to not have that itch to go kill drowners in a swamp somewhere. Yeah. And I think what's really interesting also when we think about like Geralt and Yennefer's relationship is that I think it's really comfortable to Geralt to be like so in love with her because she's someone who like 
traditionally has withheld from him. Mm-hmm. He is all about that withheld love. Like that's why he doesn't. He's not into Triss. Yeah, like, for because she's. Reasons. But like, yes, <laughs> Triss is too into me. Yeah, I'm not into. That's that. not. That's not normal. Like I don't. I don't like that. That's uncomfortable. I don't understand that. But then like Yen comes around as like I don't know how I feel about you, and he's like. I must own you. <laughs> <laughs> I must win you. <laughs> um, I think what's so compelling is that um, as I think that all of us can relate to being into someone who isn't mm-hmm, as into mm-hmm. us or yep. like, you know, having that experience. But what's compelling about the Geralt and Yennefer thing is once you get beyond the surface, you realize that both of them want that connection, yes. even though they don't <laughs> know how to build it. Yes. Which is yep. why I'm a Yennefer and Geralt fan, not because they're perfect, but because mm-hmm. they're two imperfect people with the same voids that don't come together easily. They, they don't come together easily, but they're mm-hmm. like really trying to make it happen. Yes, yes. It's just yep. super hard. Yes, yep. Yeah, and, and Yen is actually secretly like, she has those walls up and just kind of sits there and hopes that someone will come tear them down, which is a really, really unhealthy like outlook on life. And there are people out there that do that. Um and it's not great, <laughs> but it's it's a relatable and a recognizable personality trait. And I think a lot of people can kind of get on board with that. Speaking of putting up walls, Geralt and Dandelion got into it this chapter because Geralt was upset that Dandelion had revealed not only like who he was, but the mission mm-hmm, that he was mm-hmm. on, which seems like a big betrayal. Yeah. So whose side are you on? Like, do you think Geralt overreacted? Do you think that, like... I think, um, I think Geralt, I think Geralt overreacted a little bit, but Dandelion also very much underreacted. Um, I think, I, I think maybe there may be a lot of details that Geralt may understand that he either hasn't communicated or can't communicate to Dandelion. Um, that dandelion is not taking into account necessarily. Um, that, but also at the same time, like there is there is some truth to what dandelion is saying in that, like, you know, why why is this so secret? Like, because it's a secret. Yeah, <laughs> that's why it's a secret because it is. Yeah, but and and here's here's the other thing too is that I think I think dandelion probably realizes this, um, but maybe Geralt doesn't. Um, especially since knowing who Dandelion has worked with in the past or worked for in the past, Mm. Dandelion probably realizes the people who care about this, the people who care about this already know. I can understand how Geralt would overreact in this instance. Oh, absolutely. Because he feels super protective of this mission. And like, why are we involving people that we don't know we can trust? Yep, yep. We've only known these dwarves for about 15 minutes. Why are you telling them where we're going and what we're doing? I think Geralt and Dan's Lion have settled into this really predictable pattern where Mm -hmm. Geralt is the edgelord. Yep, yep. Not really a sense of humor or it's so dry you barely know it's there. Mm-hmm. And Dandelion's just goofy and he just does stuff. Yep. He's like just Dandelion and he always <laughs> fucks everything just up. Just Dandelion things. But the stakes are higher now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So when the stakes are high, you're not going to have as much patience mm-hmm. because like, okay, we get thrown out of a party one time because Dandelion said something. Yeah, to piss all right, whatever. <laughs> like, Dandelion potentially ruins your plot to like go down to Nilfgaard and save your adopted daughter. Yeah. That that's is a, a big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Once. Yeah. Like you said, he, yeah, he kind of like says the wrong thing, gets you banned from a town center once in a while. All right, that's kind of fun. That's cheeky, whatever. It adds adds spice to the adventure. But yeah, no, like if he like, you know, alerts the enemy to the fact that you're coming based on the fact that he just doesn't ever shut up, um, that's a problem. Like, In one way, it doesn't even matter who he was telling it's the fact that he said it yes at all. yes the like, fact that he thought it was okay to say it and didn't seem to have any issues with like what why are you even upset like but it shows that dandelion's maturity is at a certain level where he's mm-hmm. like he's not going to keep a secret yeah yeah and even though like he wants to rise to this occasion i truly think that he wants to be of help here it's just not him to keep secrets. He's no, made new no. friends with these dwarves. Yeah. Like it's like not a phase mom, like I yeah. was saying earlier. Like <laughs> these are my dwarf buddies. <laughs> like I wanna be just like them. Yeah, I wanna spit and swear and pee in public and <laughs> make make the ladies uncomfortable, which I think Dandelion already does, but Milva is really the mediator in this party, um, relationship wise, mm-hmm. which I really enjoy about her. It's like a traditional female role, but I yeah. see why she is the mediator in this instance because mm-hmm. she can understand both Geralt and Dandelion. She she's, can understand she, Kay here. She's actually the closest thing to an empath in the entire party. She's also the Geralt whisperer because she knows mm-hmm. how to speak in a language she understands. Because remember, she's also very angry. And very edgelordy. So yes. she's like, yes. oh, I get you. Yep. Here's how I communicate with you. Yes. And I think they speak the same language mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, back to what I was saying earlier about like, I think she does have a little bit of a crush on him. But I yeah. think they're like a little bit like oil and oil. It's yeah. like, sure, yeah. it mixes, but it really is it just oil and oil. <laughs> it doesn't really <laughs> make anything better. It just, yes. it's it just, just more make, of it. It's just more of it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. <laughs> so I don't think they would be like a good love connection just because no. they're just too similar. Yeah, yeah. They'd they'd get along, but there'd be like there'd be like no conflict. There'd be like there'd be no dynamicness to the. Can to you the even room. imagine what like breakfast would be like for them? Like, they'd just probably like just sit there in silence like the entire time. And then at the end, like girls like, mm, thanks. Winds howling. It was good gonna go hunt a drowner now Melba's like cool, cool. gonna hunt I'm gonna a go deer. hunt a, <laughs> I'm gonna go hunt, <laughs> hunt, uh, hunt a uh, drake or wern wyvern yeah they'd have like some kind of dinner at the end of the day to yeah. bring back but they wouldn't have a lot to talk about yeah yeah they're both too quiet yeah it, it's like getting it's like two it's like getting two introverts together but like not like intrapersonally strong introverts <laughs> And, like, this might be a little bit too bold to say, but I think that there are attributes of Milva that remind Geralt of Ciri mm-hmm. in a way. Like, yeah. she's much older, but I think that... I think he, he sort of has, like, almost, like, a, a mentor relationship to her because she's yes. younger than him. And yes, he's just I, a very old man. I fully agree with that. Um, I think it's a little bit of a mentor relationship. 
there's an edge of seriousness about her edge of seriousness um that she's very very she takes her craft very intensely seriously and i think he sees that in siri um as well and i think that's one of the things that really but i think that's an attribute that siri kind of picked up from him um so what he sees is a reflection of himself i think that's a i think in siri it's a reflection of him and in milva i think that's just something that she is but he sees that as a relatable and understandable and familiar attribute. Well, what do you think comes next? <sighs> More singing dwarves. Well, okay, let's talk about where singing we... gnomes. I well, mean, we've already got one gnome. Let's talk. We just about need a company where of gnomes. Leaves us. So we are left right now with they've just like completely decimated an entire unit in front of a plague-ridden village. Mm-hmm. And they're still going south by way of going east. So mm-hmm. it seems like they're just going to keep getting off course and trying to avoid the massive war yeah. going on around them. Well, I mean, like, that's how a D&D campaign goes, you know? Um, they The main plot line is to the left, and the party just keeps going to the right. Um, and as the DM, you got to just kind of see what happens. (laughs) Just maybe move the whole war that they're supposed to walk through to the right a bit (laughs) to see if maybe you can get them to do the thing that you want them to do. And they will completely ignore it and miss all the clues (laughs) and just decide that they want to go off chasing rabbits. All right. (laughs) Okay. You mean you want to collect the butterflies for the wings? Yeah, because you're a sociopath? Yes. Okay. (laughs) You've collected 150 butterfly wings, all in jars now. The village folks are now afraid of you. What do you decide to do with your life? (laughs) Now I'm going to go through the war. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, um, next chapter is... So super exciting. Like, I'm I'm really excited for it, actually, especially because chap- you keep talking it up. Well, chapter three introduces one of my favorite characters who John Merrick might have already guessed, but we're not going to have you talk because <laughs> you've already guessed it. <laughs> I want other people to guess. Like, okay. So think about it. Like, who do you think this party needs? Mm-hmm. Like, is it someone who might have been introduced in another Witcher platform? Mm-hmm. Is it someone that might be a healer mm. we this, this party needs some healing what if it was someone who is supernatural Ooh, i think that's the only the only way you can add like a healer to this party well you'll have to find out in the next episode so with that uh i think the fire is getting a little low and i think it's time to visit a plague ridden village and kill everyone. No, it's time to pull the wagon wheels off of the wagon. Collect every butterfly collect wing every, in sight. Collect every butterfly wing. Pull the wagon. Pull the wheels off the wagons and start carrying them on your back. All right, Zoltan. Yep, and uh, we'll 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 know where to attach them when we find it. <laughs> I like that preparedness. Yep, yep. I always be sign prepared. of a great leader. Exactly, exactly. Luck favors the well prepared. So find that wagon wheel. Find that wagon wheel. Until then, I'm John Mark. And I'm Alexa. Good night. Good night.